Well, good morning again, and welcome to St. Paul's. As you're standing, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, send your Spirit now upon us to quiet our hearts and calm our minds. And by your Spirit, let what is spoken and what is heard reveal to us the face of your Son, Jesus Christ. We seek him, and it's in his name that we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. Well, odds are there's somebody here who it's your first time at St. Paul's, or maybe your first time at an Anglican church, or maybe your first time in any church at all. And let me tell you, my friend, you have picked a heck of a day for your first visit. What with the walking and the waving and the palms, and you are right in wondering what on earth is going on because Palm Sunday is weird. And I will tell you something, there are people around you who have been going to church a long time who secretly have all the same questions as you. So what's going on? I'm going to tell you. Palm Sunday commemorates the day about 2,000 years ago when Jesus of Nazareth entered the city of Jerusalem the capital city of Israel. And it's called Palm Sunday because the crowds around him, his followers and his friends, they pulled palm branches off the trees by the roadside and waved them to celebrate. There are four accounts of Jesus' life and ministry in the Bible, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all have a different angle, and all of them tell the story of Palm Sunday. Now, the one we heard today from Luke is a little different than the others in that it doesn't have palms in it, which is a little awkward when you're trying to explain Palm Sunday, and it doesn't record that the crowd said Hosanna, a Hebrew word of praise meaning save us. You're going to hear Hosannas in our music today. What it does have is this little detail of the Pharisees. This was a religious faction that generally opposed Jesus. They told Jesus, tell your people to be quiet. And Jesus says, look, if they were quiet, creation itself would cry out. But otherwise, the four stories about Palm Sunday are pretty much the same. Jesus goes into Jerusalem from a nearby hill called the Mount of Olives. He's riding on a donkey. The crowds lay their cloaks and palm branches in front of him. They cheer. They say, blessed is the one, the king, who comes in the name of the Lord. There's a big commotion, gets the attention of a lot of people. That's what we commemorate on Palm Sunday. We kind of reenact it with our cheers, our palms, our processing. It's a celebration, but what's it mean? Why were they celebrating, and why are we? To understand Palm Sunday, what's going on and why it matters, you need some context, and happily, if you've uh, been here over the last few months, we're about two-thirds of, the way, uh, two-thirds of the way through a 20-week preaching series through the whole of the Bible, start to finish. And so we've already spent a lot of time looking at the way that God has worked in history to repair the broken relationship with humankind. We saw that God chose a family, the children of Abraham and Sarah, and turned them into a nation, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. And He promised that through this nation, He would bring a Messiah who would set all things right. He would send a Messiah, meaning anointed, to be king over Israel and to make everything okay. The problem was that over time, that promise of a Messiah seemed harder and harder to believe because the Israelites were passed like a baton from one foreign oppressor to the next, and they waited, 
And they waited, and they waited for hundreds of years. And now, in the time of Jesus, 2,000 years ago, they are ruled by the seemingly all-powerful and eternal Roman Empire. Now, at this point in the Bible, leading up to Palm Sunday, we've seen Jesus going around the countryside. He's been teaching, he's been doing miracles, casting out demons, healing people. He's threatened the religious establishment, and he's made a lot of enemies, but he has also gained a ton of followers along the way. Word has gotten around, this is the Messiah, this is the Christ, this is the guy that the prophets talked about hundreds of years ago. This Jesus, he's the king of Israel, he's come to make things right, he's going to lead the rebellion, kick out the Romans, kill the emperor, blow up the Death Star, right? That sort of thing. At least that's what they think. And that's why people are reacting the way they do when Jesus comes to Jerusalem, because it's like, finally, this guy who seems like the Messiah, God's anointed, he's been spending his time in the sticks, you know? Now it's going to get real. He's coming to the capital city. Now the king's going to reveal himself. And that's what's going on with all the little details of the story that seem so strange to us, a world and 2,000 years away from the original context. Like, how they take off their cloaks and put them on the ground in front of him. Well, that's what, something you would have done for royalty or someone really important, because the roads were really bad. And so it was like making a smooth way and showing, you know, hospitality. And we shouldn't underestimate the significance of this gesture in a time when people had maybe five articles of clothing. Putting your only jacket down for a donkey to walk on is no small thing. And how in the other gospel accounts of Palm Sunday, they wave palms and put them on the road too. Well, the, the palm was a national symbol of Israel. It was like a rebellion flag waved in Rome's face. And how they cheer, blessed is the one, the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a quote from Psalm 118. Psalms, the hymn book of the Jewish people. That's what you said to greet a victorious king coming to his rightful city. So the crowds in their words and deeds, they're naming Jesus as king. And Jesus, he doesn't exactly disabuse them of the notion, does he? Like when those pinch-mouth Pharisees say, tell them to be quiet. He basically says, creation is cheering. The stones would cry out if these people were silent. And that colt that's never been ridden, how he sends his disciples to borrow it for his entry, that's a bit of prophetic theater. It's an allusion to the prophet Zechariah who wrote more than 500 years before Jesus. Here's what Zechariah said. He said, rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king is coming to you. King's coming to Jerusalem. Triumphant and victorious is he. Humble and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. And Zechariah goes on to say, this king, he's going to bring peace and he'll rule from sea to sea to the ends of the earth. And these people, they knew their scriptures. So the illusion of Jesus riding on a colt wasn't lost on them. You can see why they thought, the moments at hand, why they thought the king has finally arrived. Things are going to get better. That's how Jesus entered into Jerusalem that Sunday, as God's anointed, God's hand-picked king, come to conquer the Romans. And by Friday, he was dead, killed by the Romans. And everyone who cheered his arrival was left silent as the stones, as silent as the rock that covered his tomb. 
I'm going to tell you a secret. Not much of a secret. There are lots of us here. I've never liked Palm Sunday. I know I'm supposed to. It's fun, and I'm not very fun. That's part of it. But it's fun with the cheering and parading and the, sol- and the palms, but I've always also found it a little unsettling because Palm Sunday, the way we read it in Scripture, the way we remember it, is this perfect example of dramatic irony. Dramatic irony is a, a technique in literature. It's when the reader of a book or the audience of a play or whatever knows something about the story that the characters don't know. Like, they know something's true, but the characters think it's false or vice versa. Like, how in Frozen, this phase of my life, all my literary examples are Disney. I'm not going to make any apologies for that. How in Frozen, we know that the reason Elsa stays away from Anna is because she's afraid she's going to freeze her again. But Anna just thinks she's being cold. <laughs> it deserved a lot better than that. It does, it does a really good joke. That's a really good, I'm going to do that again. But Anna just thinks she's being cold, thank you, for no reason. And dramatic irony is what's happening here in Luke 19. Because we know what happens. We know that Jesus will be dead in a week. We know that he'll be raised from the dead three days later. We know that the Roman Empire fell in dust and ashes. And we know that the church of Christ continues even today. But the crowds around Jesus, the ones waving the palms, cheering the arrival of the king, washing the hoof prints out of their favorite coat, they don't know any of that. And that's not why they're cheering. They're not cheering for the kind of king that Jesus actually is. And that's why Palm Sunday has always felt a little sad to me. Because how misguided their joy is. Because they're celebrating the wrong thing. They're celebrating the wrong kind of king. Way back in Israel's history, When God saved them from slavery in Egypt and brought them into the land that would be their home, the land where Jerusalem is, way back then, Scripture tells us that God was their king. And that was supposed to be enough for them. And of course it was. The God of the universe is your king. What other kind of king do you want, right? But it was not enough for them. And so at some point, they go and they tell their head prophet, Samuel. They say, Samuel, give us a king like all the other nations. It's so horribly sad Give us a king so we can be like everybody else. And Samuel says, look, you guys do not know how good you've got it right now. Let me tell you what kings do. They take your money. They take your sons to be cannon fodder for their armies. They take your daughters to be their servants. That's the price of being ruled, Samuel tells them. And the people say, yes, yes, exactly, that's what we want. And that's what they get. Here's the thing about kings, or presidents, or prime ministers, whatever name they go by, they take. They take money, and they take life. Taking is what makes a king, or a president, or a prime minister what they are. And we let them take those things. We let them kill with armies. We let them take with tax collectors. We let them rule with law. Because, one, we like the social order they create and we benefit from it. Or, two, we don't, but there's nothing we can do about it. And listen, I'm not anti-king, per se, anti-government. 
I just think it's worth remembering the truth about what it is kings do. There's good politics and there's bad politics. Morally, they're not all the same, truly. Good politics respects the inherent dignity of every person. Good politics is ruled by justice. It leads to flourishing. There's good politics and there's bad politics. But if we remember the truth about what kings do, the scriptural truth, that even the best law is always a velvet glove on the iron fist of power. Government is about more than power. It is. But when push comes to shove, government is finally, finally, about who gets to say where the guns are pointed, who lives and who dies, who's free and who's not. And that's the kind of king the crowds are cheering for on Palm Sunday. They want Jesus to be a king who takes. They want him to take their young men and drive the Romans, the Roman young men, into the sea. They are cheering for the killer that they want Jesus to be. And you know what? I kind of get it. I'm reading the news, and I'm praying for peace in Ukraine, but I'm not just praying for peace. No, I'm praying for justice. So my prayers are taking sides for the liberation of the Ukrainian people, which means the eviction of the Russian aggressor, and that's a violent enterprise. I have no qualms about praying for justice. Our prayers should take sides. But I have to shake my head at myself because deep down, we humans love our killers, don't we? As long as it's the right people doing the killing and the right people getting killed. I don't know, maybe not you. I hope not you. But my heart has shadowy corners and rooms that I don't like to look in for too long. On Palm Sunday, the crowds are cheering for a king who kills his enemies. But Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is a king who dies for them instead. He defeats his enemies by dying for them. He conquers by refusing to hate. He conquers his enemies by loving them. What king has ever been like Jesus? And I want you to know what that means for them and for us. It means that Jesus is the king of freedom. King of freedom. All those other kings, those kings like the other nations have, they take freedom. They take freedom in exchange for the order, the security they can give. And that's okay, honestly, for what it is, because the world's a hard place with hard kings, but not Jesus. Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And elsewhere, Scripture says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So what's this freedom? What difference does it make to your life, to the week ahead of you, it's just this. It shows you that another world is possible. Because the world we live in is ruled by death, by the fear of death. 
And if it doesn't seem like that, if it doesn't seem that bad to you, maybe the laws are made for people like you. But it's ruled by death at the end by the kings who get to kill. And without Jesus, there's some basis for thinking that the best we are allowed to hope for is that the kings and the killers have a conscience, that they'll govern justly and use their powers wisely. And don't get me wrong, I hope they do. It's better that than the alternative. But what Jesus shows us is something entirely new, entirely different. Not just a nicer version of all the other kings that the world has ever seen. And if you're a first-time visitor or you've been here your whole life, make no mistakes about what this means, about the stakes of what it is we're proclaiming here, of what the week ahead of us means, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday. We are saying nothing less that in Jesus Christ it is the defeat and death of death itself. Nothing less is on offer. And that matters to us. That matters to us because Jesus is the king of a world where death doesn't have the last word because that's what he's going to do. He's a king taking his city coming in conquest to die for his enemies. They do the worst that they can to him. The worst a king knows how to do is kill. Kings are so boring. They've got one trick at the end. They killed him and he won because he rose again. The kings of this world conquer by death, every one by inflicting it, by killing, except Jesus. He conquered by suffering it by dying. And if you hail this king arriving in Jerusalem, if the palm you wave is shaped like a cross, if you know that's the shape of his throne, if you know his battle plan, if you know the way he triumphs, then you're free. Listen, I talk to you. I know what's going on in your lives. I People around you might seem like they have it all together, but I guarantee you, you push a hair's breadth below the surface, and you, there's not a person here whose life isn't shadowed by death. I know some of you cannot stand to read the news because it just fills you with despair. I know some of you are grieving because someone is dying far away and you can't get to them. I know others of you are afraid because of the illness that's creeping in and the diagnosis you've received. There's not a person here whose life is not shadowed by death. And I cannot tell you that Jesus will take away the pain. I cannot tell you that Jesus will take away the tragedy or the loss. But I, what I can tell you is that Jesus, the conquering king, can take away the fear. And if you are not afraid of death, then the whole game changes. Because if the threat of death doesn't own you, you are free to love.
And the iron bars of this world, this prison ruled by death, just lie shattered on the ground where Jesus marched through. The gates wide open because the king of life has conquered. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen.